Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So God has spoken. God has spoken. Like, just pause there for just a moment. Pause uh, and consider what you know about God. Consider how you know God. Consider where you've been in the Word of God today. Acknowledge that God has spoken and that what God has said is good and enduring and gracious. I mean, it's, it, it, it's genuinely gracious of God to have spoken. God didn't have to speak. Um, I mean, Francis Schaeffer uh, acknowledges, you know, that God is there. Well, it's one thing for God to be there. It's another thing for God to have revealed that he's there. And so uh, Francis Schaeffer was, uh, was prone to talk about the God who is there and who has spoken. And so when you think about the Word of God today, when you think about the person of Jesus Christ, the Logos, the Word of God made flesh to dwell among us, when you think about the Word of God that you hold in your hands in the form of the Bible, when you open the Word of God and you read, when you take and eat, when you um, are sustained not just by bread, but by the very bread of heaven, by every word that issues forth um, from the mouth of God, when you consider that the word of God never goes forth, but that it accomplishes that for which the Father sent it, when you consider all of that today, just recognize that you're not living in, um, you're not living in an environment devoid of God's presence or devoid of God's word. You are living in a created order that is literally saturated with gospel communication. Radio waves are. Um, are pretty amazing at doing that, right? I mean, you can't see them. You can't see the radio waves uh, right now. You cannot see the way that um, that Faith Radio app on your phone is now transmitting to you the very Word of God. But it's happening, and it's happening all over the globe right now. And I want you to just consider for just a moment that the Word is going forth right now all over the globe in ways unseen for the glory of God. God is doing something right now in the hearts and minds of people around the world by his gospel going forth. Um, And so I just want to pause and say thank you to each and every person listening right now who makes this ministry possible and ministries like this. Because um, when a person around the world hears the gospel of Jesus Christ or a person around the corner or across the street or in the next room hears the gospel through the ministry of radio, and you have given financial support to a radio ministry, you are a part of the way in which God has sent forth the gospel to accomplish that for which he purposed. And so I just wanted to say thank you this morning for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you 
for those of you who uh, actively participate in this ministry as radio missionaries helping us do what we do every day, all to the glory of God. All right, I got Brett Nix waiting in the wings. Uh, He is a physician. He also works with an organization called Christian Medical and Dental Association, CMDA. And he's up next. He and I are going to talk about some COVID-related headlines. We'll be right back. All right, Dr. Brett Nick. Uh, Nix is uh, is a physician. He also comes to us um, as a member of the Christian Medical and Dental Association. Love talking with uh, with Brett about headline news and and the reality of the way um, he walks all of that out um, as a as a practicing physician today. So, Dr. Brett Nix, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Good morning. Happy Tuesday to you. Happy Tuesday, man. Happy Tuesday, indeed. Um, Tasty Tuesday, or Taste and See Tuesday, as I like to think of it. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's talk about the recognition of COVID symptoms in children. Um, What are pediatricians telling us? Well, I tell you, you know, when you look at kids for the last handful of months, many of them have not been in school. They've been quarantined, and so their exposures for them have been very limited. And you know, the key signs and symptoms are still somewhat true, which are the things that we think about with uh, congestion and fever, perhaps the loss of taste and smell that we hear about in adults. Well, that still plays out in kids. However, keep in mind, in kids, sometimes they'll present a little bit differently. Yes, they may have the difficulty breathing, but maybe a rash, especially one that's quickly spreading, or a kid that is more fatigued than usual, problems maybe even with their sleep cycle. Those are some of the atypical things that we might see in kids. All right, and when we think about um, what you are, maybe what you're looking for um, as a as a physician, if somebody's wondering, they're just like wondering, do do I, you know, I don't know, you know, you hear your husband cough in the middle of the night, and you immediately wonder, like, oh my goodness, should I go sleep in the other room? Is he, you know, what 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 would you say, you know, for those of us that are walking around in the midst of all of this, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're wearing masks when we're out, we're washing our hands very frequently, but our kids have gone back to school, um, and when we are in the house together, we're not all wearing masks. Um, uh, What would be the first signs or symptoms you'd be looking for? You know, when I think about my kids, and, you know, in North Carolina here, we have some that have virtual school, some that are actually at school physically, and my kids are some of those, at school last Friday, and this is their second day of this week, and I tell them this typical stuff, which is simply, hey, you may be asymptomatic at some point in time. I can't do a whole lot about that other than control your exposures, and so they understand what that means. They understand the value of washing their hands and washing their faces, but as a parent, when they come home, the typical things that I watch for, yes, school is stressful. Yes, it's a new environment. Yes, having a mask on all day is incredibly challenging. But I watch for their level of fatigue. I watch for changes in process. But most importantly, I watch for the typical things. I watch for the fever. I watch for, like mentioned just previously, a rash. And, and some of the things that you typically would see with a normal cold. Uh, you know, in this time of year when you have children getting back to school, 
yes, the mask will help. Yes, the precaution with, with sanitizing and washing hands it may actually drop off substantially with the number of viruses we see. It may change substantially what our flu season looks like. But each day when the kids come home, it's a simple question. How are you feeling? How was your day at school? And as the evening progresses, just watching for those typical signs and symptoms. And should they develop, then it's typically a conversation uh, by phone with their pediatrician to say, hey, they've had exposures, they're now in school again, no known COVID exposures, but they're having these symptoms. And typically the pediatricians do an exceptional job either virtually uh, or have them drop into clinic to go ahead and have them assessed. All right, we're going to talk in just a moment um, with Dr. Brett Nix about um, the the use of rapid COVID tests, particularly on people without symptoms and what the FDA is saying about that. But we're going to take a very brief break. We're going to see if we can reconnect and get a little bit better connection with him. So we're going to take our break a little bit early. We'll be right back. Dr. Brett Nix is an ER physician in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He also works with an organization called Christian Medical and Dental Association. It's cmda.org. We are always encouraging those of you in uh, any part of the healthcare field um, to to check out what's going on at cmda.org. Great resources there um, for you um, and for those of us interested in knowing how to talk cogently about um, issues at the intersection of healthcare ethics and our Christian faith, certainly uh, in relationship to public policy today. Um, all right, uh, Dr. Nix, let's uh, let's talk about the use of these COVID, uh, these rapid COVID tests on people who don't have symptoms. I mean, you know, I've I've mentioned this before, so my audience knows this. I mean, I heard somebody say, "Hey, you know, the best case scenario would be every American tested every day." Um, well, in order, that would have to be a rapid test and. I mean, it's not reasonable for logistical reasons, but why is the FDA saying really not a good idea to issue these rapid tests to people who are asymptomatic? Yeah, I think the challenge comes down to just understanding the value proposition of the tests and recognize that rapid tests, while they're good for certain circumstances, which we'll talk about in just a moment, they're not as sensitive or specific, meaning the tests are good. They're just not as good as some of the the typical lab-based tests that may take a day for a turnaround or or several different hours rather than having a rapid one. You know, and keep in mind that if we're doing these rapid tests, sometimes, number one, there's a cost-associated issue. Number two, if you get a test that is a false negative, you have the disease, but your test comes back negative, is that really helpful for you? And when we're looking at process, yes, it's important for us to have surveillance, to monitor what's going on in our communities and understand the spread, especially as we're looking at opening schools back up. I think the value proposition, though, with these PCR tests, the ones that we see in the labs, the quality is so good. And sometimes it's just a couple hours wait. So when you go to your, your physician's office, sometimes it's much, much easier to have a, a rapid cycled test that you get the results back while you're still there versus having them swab you and send it out and you get a call later that day with the results. It's a balancing act. But the most important thing is making sure that we do excellent surveillance in our communities, but more importantly, that we have tests available for those patients that are sick. So when they come into the hospital, they come and see me in the emergency department. I have the ability not only to get a test rapidly to make sure that I can isolate them appropriately in the hospital, but that I can also intervene if it is something else. All right. And then so those are the places where the use of these is appropriate. 
Absolutely. You'll find value, especially if you have an outbreak in, let's say, um, an essential worker facility. Maybe it's someplace that's in a meatpacking processing plant or something along those lines. If you've had an issue with an exposure and yet you have to keep your doors open, you may do a rapid screening process through many of your folks to go ahead and ensure with a higher level of certainty that you're able to keep your plant open. So you can you can look at certain scenarios and say, here's a great way to deploy this. And when you look at what the CDC has been recommending, there's value proposition in using them. But this is not a every single day come in and be analyzed with a point of care test, a bedside rapid test, just because you want to have evaluation for it. These are individuals that have high risk exposures. These are the essential workers. These are ones that have had maybe early process of symptoms or otherwise. But if you're looking at a high quality test, those may take a little bit more time, but sometimes that extra time is worthwhile. All right. I'd like to, um, I'd like to transition here to a conversation about um, this very recent report related to suicidal ideation among young people. Um, first of all, the numbers in this are extraordinary. One in four young people reporting suicidal thoughts would love to know your input on on how to help. Boy, I tell you, it's a difficult one, and we see it. And I, I'll be honest with you, over the last decade, we've continued to see this. When I look at the pediatric population, go back around the, the, the turn of the century, uh, 2000, it was very rare for us to see young children come into the emergency department with suicidal thoughts, high levels of depression, whether that was because of the community associated issues around them with their families, the core family being able to uphold them well, um, or whether this over the last 20 years, we've seen transitions with social media and the influence of those things. You add in right now the pandemic and you add in a lot of uncertainty and you add in a lot of the fear that we hear and we see on a day-to-day basis, regardless of what media process that people look at. And the challenge there as a parent is to make sure that you're checking in with your kids that you are not just seeing them, but that you're engaging with them and checking in with them to make sure that they're all right. You know, when you look at the scenario with schools being out and kids being at home, we know that there are some that have very, very challenging home settings. And we know that in those environments, things can actually just rapidly get out of control. And in those circumstances, we know that depression will set in and anxiety and fear. And all of those things are ones that lead to concerns or thoughts around suicide. I don't know that any of us have a definitive magic answer as it relates to it, but as parents, it's our job to be aware of our children, to be praying for them and to be engaging with them. And I'll tell you what, as a parent, I feel strongly there's really three things that we need to be doing. We need to be working on building community within our family and within those around us. We need to be able to establish the capacity to grow character in our children. And most importantly, we need to make sure that not only ourselves, but our kids are living out their calling. Because right now, we expend so much of our energy trying to get out of this storm right now, when in the reality, we might miss what God wants us to learn through it. And perhaps this is an opportunity for us to live with our kids closely in this opportunity to grow their character and to be able to help them understand what perseverance is all about. This is not easy, but this is everything to do with helping them adapt to the challenges they're going to face in life that may lead to depressive thoughts may lead to issues where we're seeing these issues with suicidal ideation. And suicidal thoughts, those are not uncommon. It's what people choose to do with them when they don't feel supported uh, by their family, by their community, that really drives us to have substantial issue. All right, let me confess that um, 
I learned just earlier this week, it might have just been yesterday, from Dr. Linda Mental that there's this thing out there called QPR that uh, in this arena is like CPR in terms of uh, things I ought to have uh, not only an awareness of, but I ought to become good at as an individual. This question, persuade, refer. Is QPR something that is commonly known, you know, among guys like you? It's not a common phrase that people are using, but the reality is many times you'll ask certain questions. Pediatricians understand the QPR concept pretty well. This is okay. something that may not be uniform to the level of CPR, but it is a process that is used for them to be able to identify where a child is at. Okay. And so um, what would be the kinds of questions? I'm just really curious here because, I mean, I know the questions that, let's say, my physician asked me when I go for an annual checkup, you know, is anybody harming you at home? Like, this this is really straightforward questions. And I I suspect that those are, you know, more related to um, a a preponderance of uh, of domestic abuse and violence in the country. Um, I'm not sure I get uh, a lot of questions that go down this QPR path, but that's probably because you know, I'm not I'm not telling her that I'm experiencing anxiety or depression at a level that's troublesome. Is is that sort of where it starts that you see these these clues that maybe there's a problem and that leads you to ask deeper questions? Well, a lot of times it's it's the things that you would expect. It's a child that deviates from what their normal routine may be. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in a certain scenarios, it may be that they're spending more time in social media if the child is of age to be able to do so, or they're spending more time online or they're withdrawing even more. And it's difficult to say, are they withdrawn when they're using social media and platforms where they're enveloped in that space versus the typical kid in the absence of social media that is outside playing outdoors, doing activities and those types of things. It's finding that shift. It's being aware that there's a change that has occurred. Um, And, you know, what we have to realize is nobody's immune to the stress of a pandemic whether it be a children or child or an adult. You know, we, conti- we continue to hear that young people are struggling and having a tough time. And many times what we see, though, is it's that stress in the lack of play. When you're looking at a young child, are they still playing well? Are they still engaging well? And I tell you, there's something to be said about kids' ability to smile, to play, that not only transforms who they are, but God's given them the ability in their brain to go ahead and normalize all those neurotransmitters. And that brings out a completely different individual. And so, The simple questions are, hey, what did you do today? Did you have a chance to go out and play? What are the things that you're enjoying doing? And trying to adapt to the things that bring them joy. You know, and of course, if you are one of faith, the opportunity to have conversations with them about what they're studying, what they're reading, maybe doing, you know, Bible verse studies or at least character development things out of the Bible. These are things that allow them to go ahead and flip the focus away from fear into the things that bring value to who they are. All right. Well, you would love um, our next guest as well, Valerie Bell, who's the CEO of Awana. She's going to join us, and we're going to actually talk about how we develop spiritual resilience in our children. So um, uh, this is just a wonderful segue into that conversation. Dr. Brett Nix, thank you as always for joining us. Really value our time with you. Carmen, it's my pleasure. Have a wonderful Tuesday, and I'll talk to you soon. That sounds great. You guys can find him at cmda.org. We'll be right back. A lot of us have uh, only ever imagined children's, children's ministry in one way. We, um, we think that there is Sunday school, and we think that there are Bible clubs, um, and we think that all of those things are good, and, and we think that that is sufficient. And in reality, um, we are told 
well, by our own kids in many cases, but increasingly by percentages of, um, of those surveyed who leave the church when it becomes their own option to do so, um, and not only leave the church, but leave the faith. And so we're clearly not doing something right in terms of the making of disciples of the next generation. So taking a hard look at that and acknowledging that um, there must be a better way, Valerie Bell, who is the CEO of Awana, along with a number of other people, have developed what I will describe as uh, a, an alternative method of Christian education, of the approach to children's ministry, maybe a better way of saying it. You can find it at resilientdisciples.com, but she's going to be here next to talk with us about it. Whoever, God's wonderful word of welcome. This is Max Licato. We lose much in life, jobs and chances. We lose at love. We lose youth and idealism. We lose much, but we never lose our place on God's whoever list. I love to hear my wife say whoever. Sometimes it's my favorite fragrance wafting from the kitchen, strawberry cake, and I follow the smell like a bird dog follows a trail. Yet I've learned to steal my fork until Deanland gives clearance. Who's it for? I ask. She might say, for a friend. Max, don't touch it. Or she might throw open the door of delight and say, whoever. And since I qualify as a whoever, I say yes. I hope you will too. Not to the cake, but to God. No status too low, no hour too late, no place too far. However, whenever, wherever. Whoever includes you forever. This is Max Lucado. Joining me now is Valerie Bell. You uh, you may know her as the head of Awana. She's joining me today as um, one of the ambassadors of a movement that I will uh, describe as seeking to radically transform the way that we engage children in the church. The book is Resilient, Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church. Valerie, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's great to be here. Um, So first of all, we're not going to stop loving kids. We're not going to stop teaching them to sing Jesus Loves Me or to feel that the church is the most joyful, welcoming place in the world, but we are going to begin engaging them in a way that recognizes the world into which they are going to emerge as adults is is hostile and that they need to be prepared as resilient disciples. Do I about have the gist of it? You are, I'm sending you on the road. You have got it. <laughs> you know, you I'm not allowed to go on the road. So, this, so we just do it this way. We just do it via the radio. We take, the, we take it That's everywhere. Right. That's right. Well, you have it. We looked ahead at the trends in this culture uh, all the way to 2050 when this generation who are young now and in our church uh, programs will be adults. And we began to ask ourselves a lot of self-examining questions at Awana. I mean, we're still fun. (laughs) We still have a lot of kid uh, things going on. But uh, we asked ourselves, are we actually preparing them to be resilient disciples for 2050? Will they be prepared 
to not only lead the church, but influence the culture? And are we giving them things that will travel into their adult years as more than spiritual entertainment when we got together at church and had a great time? And so uh, we began to ask ourselves that questions. We began to do assessment in the Kidman world because I believe that the future, not only the future of the church, but what's happening now uh, in the church could be highly impacted from the people who become alive and become on fire, who are leaders in the kids' men wing or in the basement of the church. I think we have potential uh, for revival there, just like in the uh, history of revivals, you read them, and it was the older women down on their knees who prayed in these revivals. So um, we are very, very interested in how we are approaching kids now it makes a difference so let me just go ahead and direct our listeners to resilientdisciples.com resilientdisciples.com that's where you're going to get information about what we're talking about today the book is resilient child discipleship and the fearless future of the church um it's broken down into three parts the why where you really do help us see the church of 2050 the what how we're going to shift our focus to disciple making, and the how uh, build how to build a proven child discipleship philosophy. Um, let's start with the why, and you've got a couple of provocative chapter titles. Um, chapter three is entitled "Thank You, Bernie Sanders." Wait, what? <laughs> I just you know I just had to call it something that would make you read it. <laughs> <laughs> it does go and look at some of the trends that are happening in government kind of behind closed doors. And so uh, we have this situation where Bernie Sanders was interviewing a Christian man for a job that needed Senate approval. And he asked this Christian guy, you know, do you believe this is, his, these questions are not even actually legal, but he said, do you believe that people like uh, Muslims who don't believe in Jesus are condemned? And uh, this man who's being interviewed stumbled to try, he was not expecting that question. He stumbled to try to explain what condemned might mean scripturally. Uh, Sanders, uh, Bernie Sanders interrupted him and said, do you believe the same is true of Jews? Now, we looked at that and we we didn't say, oh, one political party is worse than the other. That's not the point here at all. This is not a political statement. But what we saw was the growing hostility towards Orthodox Christianity. And we said, we need to prepare our kids to be able to answer questions like that. Bernie Sanders concluded that interview by saying, this man is not what our government should be about. So we saw in that this tendency for the secular culture to start sidelining Christian thought, to uh, silence us, to keep us out of places of influence. And we said, we're going to train our kids how to be prepared for questions like that. And so what we have talked about with our kids, and I know I'm getting into the how here, but is spine and heart. If they were in that interview, we would say to them, you know, tell Bernie Sanders everything you can think of that you appreciate about him. 
so you could start out by saying, I appreciate your heart for the underdog, for people who are without. I see a great passionate compassion for the world there, and I affirm that. But let me tell you what the most passionate person who ever walked the face of the earth said in scripture about believing and coming, how we come to God, and that he is not willing that any should perish. Okay, so now we, we bring in the heart. God, God is not willing that any should perish. That is not God's plan. That is by choice. Anyway, uh, so we began to work on these kinds of conversations that not only keep us in the conversation, but allow us to win favor. So at the end of those conversations, they don't say, hey, these Christians are people we don't think the government should be about. But they say, hey, these Christians, we need more of their compassionate heart in our government and in our places of influence. So I am talking with Valerie Bell. She heads up Awana, um, which may be the the largest and most significant kids ministry. It's got a 70 year history. Um, uh, You know, when I think of Awana, I think of um, Bible memory. Um, I think of, you know, of training kids to know the scriptures, which is is still I mean, scripture memory is still, um, you know, sort of the number one indicator if if. If I'm in the word and the word is in me, there is a greater likelihood that I am at least going to um, have that resource to draw upon in the future. But what I hear you saying is that is not enough um, because the culture into which these children are then going to emerge as young adults and ultimately adults, um, the, the culture has shifted to the point where the environment is so hostile um, that it's no longer sufficient to simply have the resource. They have to they have to be trained in how to use it. They have to be disciples, not just uh, vaults of of scripture memory. Yes. So one of the things that how we describe resilience is this: it's this elasticity. It's a spiritual elasticity. Uh, it's a resistant strength to bend and flex and not break against the weight of culture. And what we're saying there is not only do we need the scripture, in fact, that's one of the major legs on the stool of uh, discipleship, identity with Christ. That's Bible engagement is just huge. And we can talk about why it's so very, very huge. But it is in this time, uh, naive of us to think if we don't point out the fallacies of the culture to our kids, uh, they are not going to be able to pull up a Bible verse and say, hmm, this is what scripture says about this. They need help to see how this scripture works in the world in which they have to live. All right, uh, Valerie and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, more from Resilient Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church. You can check it out at resilientdisciples.com. We'll be right back. It is Taste and See Tuesday, and we are seeking to taste and see that the Lord is good. And my guest, Valerie Bell, apparently has a peach pie in the oven. Um, And so not only is the faith that we share pie in the sky, it's the potential of pie right now. 
Yeah, they said uh, to me, don't worry, we heard the clock chiming, you know, it's okay, it's real life, and I'm going, but you might notice if I run to my kitchen and pull a peach pie out, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'm not no, going to do that. No, we would want, because then we would want, like, smell vision the smell vision <laughs> version of radio. I'm a little bit, I'm just a little bit jealous right now. That's funny. That's funny. <sighs> All right, so let's... um. Let's continue our conversation again. I'm talking with Valerie Bell. She heads up Awana. We're talking about how we're going to develop spiritual resilience in our kids. ResilientDisciples.com is the website. Resilient is the book. Um, Valerie, let's talk about this. Uh, I don't know. Is it a is it a syllogism? Um, I'm I'm thinking here of the three B words. Um, yes. Uh, and so, so talk with us about that. Okay, so uh, we just left the why, and uh, we're basically saying we're trying to raise up a generation of Issachars. There's that fabulous Mm. verse that describes this tribe of David, and uh, everybody else is listed by numbers, and they are listed by this uh, definition. They were men and women who understood the times and knew what to do. So before we pass out of the why, I want to just say we need to understand the times and listen to the voices who know what to do. That's another thing completely. Okay, so then we've got these three B's, and these are aids to help us understand what what actually discipleship is. So uh, we did surveys of thousands of churches and uh, youth workers, kid men people, and we asked them, do you know if you are creating disciples? And over half of them weren't sure. And it's you know possible that we are going through a lot of things that are not actually creating disciples. So these three Bs are the the legs on the stool of discipleship: belong, believe, become. Belong, believe, become. And those three, when they are present together, uh, build this identity in Christ, which we call discipleship. So. Belong. So what reson- well, so what resonates with me there is, you know, we have talked, I'm thinking here about conversations I've had with Kara Powell from the Fuller Youth Institute, oh, yes. right, about identity, belonging, and purpose, that, that young people are basically seeking the answers to those three questions, identity, belonging, and purpose. And so um, that, that's, that is covered here. You know, who am I, where do I fit, and what in the world am I in the world to do? I mean, that is what you are addressing. And so I just wanted to highlight for our audience, there's a lot of alignment here um, with all of the best research that's out there today uh, in terms of this conversation that we're having about resilient discipleship with kids. Yeah, thank you, Carmen. Yeah, th- these put words on uh, things that have been happening and actually we hope to be happening. So this belong, this, uh, we have a generation of kids who are screen disciples. They are finding their identity digitally. They, they figure out how they think and what they wear and what group they belong to from the internet. And so we are looking at this belonging and saying the church has this tremendous uh, need to not only run programs and herd a hundred or so kids through the church doors every middle of the week or on the weekends, but these children need to be known and they need to have the access to an older person of faith who cares about them. And that is so important. The UN, there's so much data on this now. This is coming 
from all sectors of the world culture. But if a child has a loving, caring adult, is what we call it, a loving, caring adult in their lives, they are able to uh, mitigate all the other circumstances around them. And when it comes to faith, to have access to a personal, close relationship with an adult who is walking in faith, this child then has the opportunity to see how faith works and to kind of grow in the soil of that older adult's uh, life, faith life. So Kara Powell talks about this in Sticky Faith, and she refers to it as five adults. There are five people who will come alongside, you know. I, I, I would just be so very glad if it was one person, if I was a parent trying to raise a child today, if one other adult took interest in my child and, and spiritually guided them, I would be so thrilled. And so that's belong. Um, this this gets into a conversation about the curriculum is not something that's printed on the page or something that I go by. Um, I am the curriculum. I mean, as a mature disciple of Jesus Christ, when I engage with young people, when I engage with the kids in my own house and their friends and the children at my church and the children in the community in which I live, I am the curriculum. That is really what I you're getting that. at. I love that. I'm, I'm going to borrow that. You can have it. It's all free. I mean, someone else, I, everything I have is stolen from someone. Well, you know, Awana had been around, we were around, we've been around for 70 years and we have these handbooks and we had trained our people that those handbooks have to be completed. And um, I began to say child before curriculum, maybe in West Stafford, uh, former um, CEO at Compassion is on our board now. And he said, maybe it's important some weeks that instead of getting that blank checked off that you memorize that scripture for the week, an adult, that loving, caring adult would write in there, I'm so glad you came. We love you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I just love you know, it. We, this program is after relationship. So belong. You know, and it's interesting. The next is believe. And I think, you know, in former times, churches very often would portray the message, you don't really belong until you believe. <laughs> and uh, that's club membership. And that's really not what I see in scripture. It's, you know, you come in any shape, any form, any, any kind of situation, and we will, we will pour belonging on you to lead you to believe. Absolutely. All right. Um, We're going to have to leave it right there. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. I hope that we can just go ahead and convince you to come back and talk more with us about this. I would love to. Yeah, I just, Valerie Bell, what a joy to meet you, even in this way. Um, uh, one day, I uh, I aspire now to sit in your kitchen and share peach pie. Um, <laughs> until then... We're going to uh, send people to resilientdisciples.com. The book is Resilient Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church. Valerie, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, thank you so much. You are the best. Thank you. Well, well, I was, I was, uh, I have those, I've had those people, right? My, my person of influence when I was a young teenager, I mean, her name is Kathy Connor and I would point at her and I would say, she's the Christian adult outside of my own home. Um, who poured into me in a way that uh, helped me become the disciple I am today? So I'm uh, I'm, a, I'm a living testimony. I'm a living testimony to the research that you are uh, that you're proving out. Love it, absolutely yeah. love it. Love Thank you so yeah, much, let's Valerie. Talk again sometime. I'd love to. Do let's, that. Do it. Okay. let's do it. Let's do it. All right, um, we'll be right ya. back. Bye, bye, bye. 
like we made a friend just now. I hope you feel uh, the same. Um, man, she's ringing all the bells for me today. Uh, I, I look at my grandbabies and the teenagers in my own house, and I say to myself, man, are we equipping them adequately uh, to be resilient disciples in the world that is coming their way? Um, and so I hope so, and I'm, I'm glad to have uh, helpmates along the way in doing that. Um, pray today for the next generation and and pray that we would, uh, each and every one, influence a younger person today uh, in the direction of following Jesus. Let us be ambassadors of the King and the kingdom in the kingdoms of this world in such a way that Jesus would recognize himself in us and that others would be drawn to him through us. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.